It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast. Hi, so my name is Kit O'Connell. And right now I'm a freelance journalist. I'm located in Austin, Texas. I use they, them, or he, him pronouns. Uh, I've been living here for 20 plus years at this point and have seen a lot happening here. And uh, But lately I've been writing a lot for the Austin Chronicle, which is the local alt-weekly about some issues in, in our community, including uh, the struggle for trans rights. Uh, so that's kind of my background. I know we're going to talk about abortion access today. And uh, while I'm not somebody who could have an abortion, I've benefited from the services of Planned Parenthood. Uh, and I've been involved in a lot of activism and reporting about uh, some reporting also about uh, abortion access in Texas. So uh, I'm, I'm relatively knowledgeable on that and, and would love to, to get into that, too, as we go. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's kind of about me. And that's a really good point to point out that Planned Parenthood does provide actually free health care to people. Absolutely. Unfortunately, their services have been cut. Uh, I, I've uh, talked publicly before about how I got a vasectomy at uh, Planned Parenthood. And unfortunately, that's not something that's available uh, at a lot of Planned Parenthoods anymore. It was actually a really affordable option uh, at the time. I spent like about 500 bucks on it, which is a, a lot less than you'll spend on that. Uh, 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 surgery and just in general they're very supportive of people of all genders and regardless of your plumbing they can help you out with std testing and just other you know other help uh so that you know they're really beneficial uh you know i i do feel a little bit like i'm sometimes talking out of my lane slightly here and uh you know i'll see if maybe i can connect y'all with someone who's uh you know working on the front lines in the abortion access stuff for a future episode too just kind of give us your elevator speech, you know, off the top <laughs> of your head. What is the situation in Texas right now, both in terms of the attacks on the LGBTQ community and abortion rights? Obviously, we're going to talk more in detail about both of these things, but just to kind of lay the groundwork for the wider discussion, what do we need to know walking into this? Yeah, that's good because we're going to get into the weeds on a few of the questions you sent me. So we should give the basics here. Uh, and it's good. Uh, I want to point out at the top. I think it's really valuable for you to link these two topics because they both relate to bodily autonomy. And I think it's important to remember that the Roe v. Wade decision, you know, uh, hinged on personal privacy and essentially bodily autonomy uh, as as the reason that you know abortion access needed to be legal. Uh, and of course, this you know relates personally to the lives of LGBTQIA plus people in Texas. Uh, you know, very intimately their bodily autonomy. So these are very closely linked. 
So <clears throat> what we're seeing right now um, is, uh, uh, first off, as far as abortion access goes, um, the, the bill that was passed uh, uh, during, I believe, the last legislative session. So uh, just a, real quick to Texas law. Texas law is a little is very weird and Texas government is even stranger. And so the Texas government doesn't operate essentially all the time. They only meet every other year for about just under six months. So that means that the legislature didn't meet this year and they're going to meet next year. There's these little short windows of time where the government tries to push through uh, funding for everything that keeps the state running, but also whatever their agenda is, good or bad, you know, for the next two years, essentially. So what that means is in the last legislative session, they tried to pass a lot of laws regarding to transgender rights. And I believe they did pass one relating to trans kids in sports uh, here in Texas. Uh, but they were unable to pass some other laws that they tried. They did, however, pass this extremely uh, draconian law. We, we throw that word around a lot, but this one is really intense. Uh, it's a ban on abortions after six weeks. And it's important to you know always emphasize that a lot of people take much longer than that to even realize that they are pregnant. Uh, and so it's a ban up to six weeks. But not only that. It basically empowers everyone in the state to act as a vigilante and to sue abortion providers, abortion funds, and even family members that help somebody get an abortion. So in theory, if I help my friend who needs an abortion get to the clinic, whether that's tossing them 20 bucks or a ride or, you know, ordering their Uber or whatever it is, I could be sued under this law as somebody who helped provide an abortion. Um, there's also just extreme, uh, just Waiting periods, medical interference, you have to have a, a transvaginal ultrasound, which is an invasive and unnecessary procedure. And that's necessary even if you have a medication abortion, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more later um, if, if you get that at the clinic. So it's just incredibly draconian. It's more invasive than any other similar medical procedure that somebody would get, you know, um, so uh, and there's also bans on and limits on abortion through telemedicine, which, of course, was problematic for people in rural areas and during a pandemic. So it's just very extremely limiting here. Now, as far as the trans rights issues go, I said that they weren't able to push through all their agenda in the last legislative session. Um, for the last several sessions, they've just been trying to push through as many laws as they can relating to trans people. I'm sure a lot of the listeners remember the battle over all the bathroom bills and people really came out and defeated those pretty resoundingly. But this has kind of been their follow up has been to go after athletes, uh, to go after, you know, uh, healthcare and also just like education and what's a, what sort of knowledge and openness about, you know, gender and sexuality are available to students and young people. Um, <clears throat> the most recent kind of battle happened in December, began in December I guess essentially what happened at that point is that uh, the attorney general here, who's an incredibly corrupt individual, literally he's protected from multiple criminal charges by the fact of being the attorney general. And so he was in a somewhat contested primary against other Republicans. And so he needed a wedge issue in order to protect himself. And so he turned to trans rights and the wedge issue he reached for was health care. Now, he issued a non-binding legal opinion 
saying that certain standard forms of healthcare for kids are going to be, or just certain standard gender affirming forms of healthcare should be made illegal. Now, what he targeted was surgery and hormones. Now, I, I want to explain for people who aren't really aware that for trans young people, um, up until, you know, 11, 12 and there, what happens is essentially social transition. The kids experiment with new names and pronouns. Now, as they start to reach adolescence, one option are these drugs called puberty blockers. And what those do is they delay adolescence, which gives time for the kids and their families to work with professionals, including therapists, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, experts in hormones, endocrinologists, all that to figure out what to do next. Uh, at that point, when they're a little older, sometimes they'll start taking, you know, hormones such as testosterone or estrogen and the other drugs associated with gender, with, you know, uh, uh, pharmaceutical gender transition. Uh, and of course, there are occasionally cases of surgery, but it's very, very, very rare when it comes to anyone under 18 and pretty much is limited only to mastectomies in older teenagers. So, but they're trying to kind of create this fear that people are essentially forcing young people to be trans and forcing them through irreversible drugs and surgeries. And that's just not true. All this is backed up even by the most mainstream of medical authorities. But this is a case where Texas is generating fear, using it as a wedge issue, and then stepping in to interfere with people's medical decisions. So again, this is a parallel with abortion, which is an extremely safe procedure that should just be you know, a personal decision of the person having one. Uh, and instead, we have government stepping in and deciding who can and can't access health care. In the Austin Chronicle article you wrote, there is right now a temporary halt to politically motivated child abuse investigations of families with trans kids. So just talk about that. What happened is they weren't able to push through this agenda. So Ken Paxton issues this opinion in December, which says these forms of health care are actually child abuse. He also said that mandated reporters, and what that means is a whole host of people who are trained to work with, you know, anyone who basically works with patients, whether that's therapists, doctors, even people that staff certain abuse hotlines can be mandated reporters. And that means if they think abuse is happening, they're legally required to report it to the state child protective services agency. And normally that can at least be a good thing. There are obviously political issues, you know, and racial justice issues with child protective services. But in general, we want if a teacher hears about child abuse, we want them to report child abuse. But what Ken Paxson says, actually, if you hear about parents giving their kids health care that supports their identity as a trans person or a non-binary person, that's abuse. And you should report them to CPS. Now, that was not legally binding, but obviously it creates a, an atmosphere of fear and, and doubt. Uh, it was followed up shortly after, uh, uh, early this year by the governor issuing another directive, which said that, um, CPS, the Child Protective Services, Department of Child Protective Services should investigate any reports of trans, of families giving their kids trans affirming care, gender affirming care, which is, you know, just respecting their identity, but that any of those should be treated as abuse and investigated seriously. And uh, we did see, fortunately, some uh, uh, multiple nonprofits come together to oppose that, including Lambda Legal and the ACLU. Some other organizations are also involved. 
and they sued in court. They got an injunction immediately, uh, basically at the Austin level court, uh, the Travis County court saying these investigations have to halt. Um, there's going to be a, a, a full hearing about this directive in July. And again, I want to emphasize this is not the normal legal procedure. This is just something that the governor imposed. There's supposed to be hearings at the very least if there's any changes to how the Child Protective Services Agency operates. But instead, the governor's just come in and said, no, treat trans health care as abuse. And so Lambda Legal and the ACLU have sued on behalf of a family that's being investigated. Uh, and, and that family, they're anonymous, but it's important to note that the family, the, the, the mother in that family, I believe, worked for the Department of Child Protective Services. And she has a transgender teenager. And she said, how is this directive going to affect me? And the governor, the, the state responded by basically putting her on leave and then putting her under investigation with CPS. The other person that's involved in this lawsuit is a psychiatrist from Houston uh, who's, you know, suing on behalf because she's a mandated reporter and she doesn't want to have to report any clients to the state who are protecting or supporting, you know, trans young people in their lives. Um, and so what's happened right now is there's been a halt to this. The courts have said, hey, you can't keep investigating trans young people. And the state immediately appealed it. The next level of the court said, hey, no, you got to stop. And at this point, there have been four successive court rulings, all saying there shouldn't be investigations into kids or their families or, or the healthcare providers that help. But at this point, they're still appealing it. They're in front of the state Supreme Court. And, and again, there's going to be a hearing about this in July at the Travis County, at the, at the, you know, the, the regional level here. So the state is saying we can't even wait until July to investigate trans kids. We need to do it right now. And we're waiting to hear what happens in front of the Texas Supreme Court at this point. But right now, the investigations are supposed to be halted. The law is saying that basically anybody dealing with kids has to report. It's not even the law. Remember, it's not it's not the law. This is an extra legal directive. The governor is not going through legal procedures. This wasn't passed as a normal policy of CPS. Mm -hmm. This is just the governor saying you have to do it. And the agency is doing his bidding because. He apparently just can exert this kind of power. And so part of what the ACLU is suing about is that this is invasive of people's privacy. But the other thing they're suing about is that this is just not how it's supposed to work. This is them just completely circumventing normal legal procedures. Now, in theory, those mandated reporters are not currently required. It's a non-binding directive. And theoretically, they're not supposed to turn people in. But it's kind of unclear Will they have consequences in the future if they don't? And that's why there is this psychiatrist involved in the lawsuit. The point I was trying to make is that across the board, various groups of medical professionals have stated, like, look, this is a bad, stupid idea, and you're actually hurting uh -huh. children by Absolutely. doing this. Absolutely, yeah. And I want to emphasize that there, there wasn't just this one case I want to say that there were at least a dozen or so cases that the, the, these nonprofits or, or reporters or various people have become aware of, of families being investigated by CPS, uh, Child Protective Services. And it's also circumventing how Child Protective Services normally is supposed to work. I think this was going to be your next question, so I'm just going to jump into it here. Basically, like, 
what normally happens is somebody reports abuse to Child Protective Services. Child Protective Services can choose, does this sound like a credible report or not? Sometimes they just set them aside so this doesn't sound like a credible report and that's it. Sometimes they investigate the report and there's various levels of that. I don't have to get into all the details of that. But the, the, the investigator has a lot of leeway, which is, you know, good and bad in various cases. But they can come in and say, look, this is a healthy family. There's nothing happening here. They at that point go to their manager and say, hey, I found a healthy family. Their manager says, great, we're closing this case. There's nothing more to do here. But what's happening here is that the government is not allowing them to close out their cases. I spoke to a lawyer that's defending two families in the Austin area, Central Texas area, that uh, are under investigation. And these cases are just being held open. And the, the agent has said, we want to close it. Their manager has said they want to close it. And it's now been bumped up through multiple, like like the regional CPS has looked at it, the state level CPS, like three, four, five or more levels of bureaucracy have all looked at these cases saying, we don't know what to do with them, but we're not allowed to close them. And so they're just hanging, the way she described it is like the roadrunner and the coyote, they're just hanging over their head like that boulder that's going to fall. These cases are on hold because of the court case, but at any moment they could start again and they're just being held open. So it's kind of just like uh, this fear that's hanging over all these families' heads that know they're under investigation. You know, you mentioned in your article, in your reporting, that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and online accounts like Libs of TikTok, who have been in the news recently, are really pushing this groomer panic online and in sort of the the MAGA echo space. What role do these sort of influencers and grifters and politicians play in sort of setting the mood and just sort of pushing this thing forward? You know, this is kind of like this meme that they've gotten a hold of, this OK Groomer meme or, you know, anyone that's what it, what it does is reframe the conversation, essentially. And, and it, it's trying to put people on the defensive. So instead of people saying, look, I'm supporting trans kids. Now they're having to answer questions of like, are you a pedophile? And those kind of questions obviously immediately turn into traps when people are being dishonestly edited by people that have learned from the likes of Alex Jones or Project Veritas. Nobody protecting trans people here is a pedophile. Again, these are things that the, the health care that's being given to them, mental health care, social transition, all this is incredibly supported by experts, all of who say it improves the mental health and reduces incidents of suicide in trans young people. But it's harder to have that conversation when people are yelling about grooming and accusing everyone of being pedophiles. And we know that this, when you say, think of the children, this is immediately a hot button issue, um, you know, where you can say, you know, that um, it's a hot button issue and it gets people emotional and reactive. And it especially gets people who don't understand what's happening, who feel like this has come out of nowhere that suddenly there's all these, you know, trans and non-binary young people. And so, you know, instead of going like, maybe they have a new vocabulary, maybe there's a new, you know, way of talking that's helping people understand themselves better. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like Lives of TikTok are pushing this idea that instead it's being, people are being groomed into being transgender. Um, you know, and I'll talk personally, I'm in my 40s now. You know, when I grew up, I felt I didn't fit into traditional boxes of male or female. I'm non-binary. And that's something I knew from when I was a young age. And, you know, we see 
kids now who, you know, um, there's a documentary that's coming out. I got to see it recently called Mama Bears. Um, I think it's going to be on PBS. I recommend people check it out. It's mostly about parents of queer and trans young people. But the reason I'm bringing it up now is there's these trans young people in it who, you know, they grew up in conservative families where, you know, if they acted out of the most traditional gender roles, they were spanked or punished for doing so. And they still asserted themselves as transgender. You know, this is something that people are born as. And, you know, it's natural. It should be seen as natural and normal for people to explore what their gender presentation is and their identity is. And it, it comes from something really deep rooted in us. But rather than allowing the conversation about that, they want to push this groomer idea. Now, what do they get out of this? Um, the important thing to say here is like this doesn't stop with trans young people. You know, once they're able to define people who support trans young people as groomers, I think obviously the, the overall and you'll see this in their rhetoric. They're very open about it. They want to define everyone on the left as pedophiles and groomers. And that's the precursor to some really serious fascist violence. When you have said that everyone on the left is a danger to children, well, then if you believe that any violence at all, any action at all you take against those people would be justified. And it's very easy to see where that goes. It goes towards some really dark and violent places. We've already seen Tucker Carlson go on the air saying that fathers should go into classrooms and beat, physically assault teachers who talk about gender identity and sexual orientation. And the thing is, like, you know, kids need to be protected and kept safe. And that means protecting them from abusers, but it also means letting them develop for themselves and figure out who they are. And there's this deep discomfort with the idea that young people have sexual orientation and gender identity. But what, you know, it only comes out if they express a sexual orientation or gender orientation or gender identity that's not cisgender straight. As soon as they do that, these people want to define it as an illness. But it's, so it's like it's partly this panic about the change in society, the fact that there's a new vocabulary that allows young people to express who they are in a way that they've never had. But it's also the building blocks to scary and, and really dire fascist violence in our not too distant future because they want to define everyone to the left of them as potential pedophiles and therefore worthy of genocidal violence. I mean, there's so much there to unpack. I mean, first of all, that <laughs> builds on top of just now years and years of QAnon, you know, branding the drag queen story hours, some sort of, mm -hmm. I mean, really that was a precursor, I feel like, to a lot of this stuff. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. that was branded totally as, oh, these pedophiles are going to come and read a story to your kids and groom them into like having sex with them and all this stuff. Also, Pizzagate, you know, this is stuff that goes back now to 2016. So this is almost you know, over six years ago. They've been kind of pumping this same thing. I mean, they were saying all the Democrats are pedophiles. Like, there's a cabal of satanic pedophiles that, you know, drink children's blood and so on and so forth. I think also, too, though, that, that what we have to realize is that they are literally rebranding transphobia and homophobia under this guise in order to have plausible 
deniability so they can say like, oh, it's not about hating these people. It's about standing mm-hmm, against mm-hmm. pedophilia, which of course, who would, who would be against standing against pedophilia? You know, who's against, <laughs> you know, violence against children or abuse against children? Of course not. No one, no one's against that. Yeah. And of course it taps into, you know, if we go back even further, you know, the satanic panic, you know, was mostly uh, that most of the victims of the satanic panic, it's really important to recognize were, you know, some of them, it were just, it was totally random, but a lot of them were LGBTQIA plus educators. And even aside from that, you know, we aren't that far off. You know, when I was growing up in the 80s, there were a lot of conversations about, is it safe to have a gay person in the locker room with you? Is it safe to have a gay person as, or lesbian as the teacher of your kids? And what we're seeing now is just they're repackaging that and they've brought this old idea, for lack of a better word, out of the closet, and now they're trying to use it to force people back into the closet. The sick thing is that it totally sidesteps any actual discussion or look at violence and abuse against children. It's, yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot to unpack. You know, there is this idea that, like, yeah, that, you know, alternative orientations that people are, are queer or trans because of abuse, and that's just not backed up, obviously. Some people who are queer and trans were abused and some people who are queer and trans were raised in healthy, supportive, you know, homes. Uh, you know, that's one piece of it. Um, but I think, you know, obviously the other thing too is it's like they're always looking for ways to, to distract from, like you said, the real problems. We know that abuse when it happens of any kind, you know, it comes from within the home or relatives or close people to the family. It's not about some mysterious guy in an alleyway teaching your kids to be gay it's about <laughs> you know everyone in the family looking the other way at the uncle who's an abuser you know, right. that's where abuse comes from and we know that that happens in right-wing families in left-wing families it happens in families and, and the more we, we we talk about this groomer crap it's etched to queer people the less that we're talking about the real sources of abuse you know of toxic masculinity and just toxic sexuality you know in our culture it distracts from all those conversations we could be having about you know abusers that are elected to office you know right now uh and all kinds of things you know the prevalence of abuse in uh families with police officers you know that there's an incredible uh instances of domestic violence there's all kinds of things that we could be talking about instead of this distraction which is you know really measurably hurting vulnerable people instead well, you wrote on Twitter that all this legislation is creating a climate of fear, anxiety, and violence for LGBTQ people. You went on to write, some healthcare providers have reduced or eliminated services to trans kids and adolescents. Equality Texas um, and other organizations have been flooded with reports of threats against people across the LGBTQ spectrum of all ages in recent months, and there have also been verbal bullying, pressure from educators to stay in the closet, or even physical assaults against students. I think a lot of what we're seeing right now uh, is uh, just kind of like a dismantling of the infrastructure that has kept uh, LGBTQIA students safe uh, or safer in their, 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 their classrooms. You know, we're seeing teachers are afraid to put up pride flags. They're worried about whether that will get them into trouble or even fired. There's a teacher in Irving, Texas, who may be fired. I, I haven't heard what's happened there, but um, they're essentially were the sponsor 
of the gay straight alliance, which that's a, a thing that's existed for decades in schools across the country and in, you know, both conservative and liberal communities. The gay straight alliance is just a place, just like it sounds like for students across all kinds of orientations to come together. And this, she's been under, just like a, this, this teacher has been under attack. Uh, and, uh, this English teacher, she's been removed from the classroom. Uh, and, and it's just been a, an attack out there. Uh, we've also seen uh, libraries under attack in Lano, Texas. The library board was taken over recently by uh, what was before just like a, a nonpartisan board of library experts that guided the library in that area. It's now being taken over by Republicans, and they've closed the library for days at a time so they can purge it of multiple books. Um, so we're seeing that. Uh, the governor was threatening the uh, Austin public schools over their Pride Week and saying that that would be illegal sex education if they continued with it. Um, so we're just seeing, you know, the, I'll be honest, you know, the, the, the violence and physical assault side of it, I don't actually have a lot of details on that. I've heard that that is happening from uh, my contacts at Lambda Legal and Equality Texas. Uh, I think the most important thing as far as that goes is that, you know, I'm sure that this is leading to bullying of all kinds. But, you know, with Tucker Carlson saying things like people should storm classrooms, it's not hard to see where this is going to lead. So, you know, the violence is happening, but I feel like it's simmering and it's potentially going to turn into something much bloodier and much deadlier uh, if this continues. And I think just in general, you know, I've even been hearing from people on Twitter, you know, people are afraid of, you know, who live here, people are afraid who have to visit here. You know, I will say, you know, obviously a lot of communities, you know, are still very supportive of queer and trans people in, the, you know, in their area. You know, Houston, Austin, Dallas, other communities, too, even smaller ones have thriving communities that still exist. Um, but we are seeing, you know, a lot of especially what we're seeing right now is a lot of families with trans kids are feeling forced to leave the state because they're afraid either that they'll be under investigation or that they're going to lose access to the health care that their kid already depends on. They're already, you know, in, in therapy for this. They're already on puberty blockers. Um, there is a major hospital in Houston, which is, uh, I believe, in Houston, one of the major sources of it. That's something I think that's important for people to realize is that there's only a few sources of this type of health care for young people. And, you know, one of the major sources of them here in Texas, I don't want to get their name wrong, so I'm not going to say it, but they suspended offering this health care to people. And what that means is that these kids who are on puberty blockers or hormones may not have been able to get them temporarily. Now that I believe has resumed, but I'm not sure that every doctor that in the state that was offering this type of care has resumed. There are some of them are still too afraid to offer this health care. And the consequences of this is are really dire. Like the reason you take puberty blockers as a trans kid is because going through puberty is going to cause you extreme discomfort and dysphoria with your body and you don't want to go through it it gives them a, a pause where they can figure out their identity figure out whether they want to go through traditional or, or or the puberty that comes with their you know what they were born with or whether they want to take hormones and it gives them time to work with experts and to suddenly halt that or if they are on hormones to suddenly halt those it can be extremely detrimental and I also want to say for people who don't know, these drugs have a long history of safe use and they are still being used in cisgender people. There are cisgender young people, kids who are eight, nine, ten, 
who find themselves going through puberty early and they're given these puberty blockers. They're extremely safe. Hormones are given to people for all kinds of reasons. In addition to transgender healthcare, they're extremely safe. Um, you know, these are all drugs that have an incredible history of safe use. Um, so this is like purely a politicized attack on them, of course. Um, and, and so it's just like we're losing safe spaces. You know, it's hard, you know, libraries are under attack. It's hard even to list. We don't just have time to even list all the different types of threats that people have faced over this. You know, you brought up one incident, and this kind of went viral on Twitter, but you said in one particularly harmful incident, a child a teacher claimed in front of the classroom that the reason the child was transgender was because they were being groomed by their queer parents, uh, the mm-hmm. mother told you in the interview. And they said once that directive hit, I was terrified that the teacher would report us. Yeah, um, this you know is a really tragic story, and I think it illustrates how there's not actually not many uh, before I get into story, I just want to say there's actually not that many healthcare conditions, you know, really where we can say there's just a clear cure. They exist there, but especially for, you know, like depression, you know, it's hard. You can't just say there's a, a cure for depression, but for, for gender dysphoria, for people that are struggling with their gender identity, you know, the cure for it is to, is to acknowledge that identity and give them the care that helps them, you know, blossom into that identity that they feel is, the one that they were born into. And it's really clear from the science that that is what helps, you know, these people. Uh, and that when the opposite happens, it, it can lead to depression, anxiety, and, and all too often it leads, you know, to suicide and just mental health crisis. Um, and so, you know, this young person, they're 12 years old, non-binary, and have uh, two queer parents, two women who are their parents. And they're in an Austin area public school and they faced, unfortunately, a lot of bullying over that, that, you know, the administration was unwilling to intervene on. And it has had just a longer, long term, really extremely harmful effect on their mental health. And it kind of culminated in the teacher of this young person announcing before their classroom that essentially that they had been groomed by their two mothers to be transgender and that that is why they are transgender. 
And then that, uh, you know, was the final capstone on this person's mental health crisis. Uh, and they needed hospitalization after that. And over the course of this lengthy need for hospitalization and treatment to help them out, this directive hits. And so, you know, this leaves the family in this really sticky and terrifying situation because one, they know this teacher is in big, is bigoted, is incredibly bigoted and could report them to CPS. And so they could be facing, you know, this both an abuse investigation while their kid is in the hospital for a mental health crisis. And then the other fear on top of that is they don't know, you know, going into something, you know, they're approaching a hospital for care. They don't know if members of the staff might be bigoted and might report them. And so there's this fear where it's like, you know, to get their kid proper health care, proper mental health care support in the hospitals or in the outpatient care that they go through as they continue to heal, they need their gender identity acknowledged. But in doing that and saying, hey, my kid's non-binary, they use they, them pronouns, their parents are always scared, is this going to turn against us? Is one of these healthcare providers going to be bigoted? Now, I will say that the vast majority of healthcare providers in Texas and the other states where this is happening, um, and, you know, their, their agencies, you know, the, the nonprofits that, you know, that, that, you know, psychiatrists and therapists work with have all come out and said that they will fight this, you know, uh, it, Almost universally, mental health care providers are opposed to this and not willing to comply. But we also just don't, you know, we don't know what that is going to mean. Does that mean that they're going to have to refuse care to people? It's just very scary and uncertain as far as what this will mean. Um, and obviously, you know, as we've seen with stuff like, um, say, vaccines, for example, and, and the coronavirus, the vast majority of health care providers are, you know, in line with prevailing science, but there's still those weird like doctors and nurses that are anti-vax. And so unfortunately, the same can be true here, that there's, you know, a nurse somewhere that's, you know, anti-trans. And so there's this fear for anyone navigating the healthcare system right now who, you know, who is trying to support their trans kid that they don't know is the next person they work with going to be a bigot. First of all, for a teacher to say that is is horrific, but just that type of ideology, the reason that you're this way is because your parents did this horrible thing to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many implications there that are just, you know, again, just this complete rolling back of everything that movements have fought for, that we've pushed Mm -hmm. back against decades and centuries of homophobia and patriarchy to then reaffirm these backwards, conspiratorial, bigoted views. It's horrifying to watch the ground. It feels like just slipping out from beneath us. And, you know, it really leaves, uh, families like this one with a lot, a lot, without a lot of recourse. You, know, you mentioned my viral tweet about this. Um, it's been wonderful to see so many people say, you know, supportive things and how appalled they are at what the teacher did. But a lot of them are like, well, why doesn't the family sue? Well, the reason the family doesn't sue is because then the teacher turns around and reports them to CPS or, they get doxxed to some, you know, person like libs of TikTok. And suddenly this family is plastered across Fox News because they're suing a teacher in Texas, you know. And so, you know, families, you know, rightfully are choosing to protect their kids uh, rather than speaking out uh, in a lot of cases. And, and in a lot of cases, they're just having to flee the state. And of course, that's a privileged position. Not everybody can afford to flee the state, especially if they've already been uh 
you know, spending a lot of money on expensive and hard to access trans affirming healthcare. Well, one interesting aspect to this is that you write that there's been a mass resignation at Child Protective Services or CPS. You know, as far as that goes, I think I believe from what I've heard, uh, the Texas Tribune has done some great reporting on this. Uh, so I recommend people look that up. There have been at least a half dozen people that have resigned from uh, that, that agency. Uh, the Tribune interviewed uh, someone who resigned who was uh, himself a transgender man. And, you know, at first his approach was like, well, this directive is horrible. But at least my, I can protect this family, right? If they're going to be investigated, at least someone like me is going to do it who understands. But he quickly realized that the agency was being turned against him. And so he's resigned. Um, uh, ACLU and Lambda Legal in their lawsuit uh, during one of the first hearings. And I imagine that she may be back in future ones. They heard from uh, an investigator that resigned. Her name was Randa Mullinax. And she talked about how uh, you know, as I mentioned, they're not allowed to close these investigations out. But another thing that's really disturbing is they're not allowed to take normal notes on them. They're not allowed to like, for example, I don't know what they use, but say they use Slack or some kind of back channel to discuss these investigations. They're not allowed to do that. And that means that there's less of a paper trail uh, later uh, if people want to try to, you know, prove their innocence and things like that. It's just very sinister about what that could mean. Um so, you know, obviously it's wasting resources at the agency. It's clearly causing internal rebellion of some kind. Um, they've also had uh, multiple uh, members of CPS filed a friend of the court, an amicus brief on behalf of ACLU and Lambda Legal's lawsuit. That's not something that you normally see. You know, CPS, the Department of Child Protective Services, it's essentially a black box. You don't really hear about uh, individual cases, um, you know, they set policies that people can go to hearings normally if they're normally set and, and, and debate or give their input on. But it's really unusual for, you know, individuals from the agency to speak out like this. So um, it's clearly caused a lot of upheaval as to the, the degree that it's distracted from their ability to investigate real cases of abuse. I don't think anyone right now has an exact answer on that. It's clearly wasting resources. Um, you know, I think, again, I want to emphasize that, you know, essentially everywhere CPS has had credible accusations of being racially motivated and who they investigate and who they don't investigate. So I don't want to sound like CPS is like an angelic organization that is just pure in their, at heart in their ability to uh, target child abuse. But we also do know that there's cases where they protect kids that need protecting uh, and they're you know, there's less of them able to do that. And of course, the question that, that I ask and other people have asked is, you know, these people are resigning because understandably they can't follow the orders in good faith. But who gets hired to replace them? Are there just empty seats at CPS um, or are they replaced by people uh, who do support this right wing agenda and will, you know, support the uh, agency's directives? So it's kind of a rock in a hard place. They can't stay but we all wonder who's going to come in to replace them. Well, I want to turn now and talk about the situation in Texas with abortion access. Uh, there was recently a woman that was arrested for a self-induced abortion. Just talk about, you know, what is going on there? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, the law was SB8. It's essentially fully gone into effect, and it, it empowers people to sue uh, over whether or not 
they are uh, anyone who assists with an abortion. They're they're allowed to be sued. That's not just abortion providers, but abortion funds, even family members. Um, but what happened in this particular case is it's not entirely clear, like under what law or what like what their justification for was this before i get into this case talk about what we mean when we say self-induced abortion right so if you go to uh, uh the doctor and get an abortion a chemical or, or abortion with pills is really the, the best way to say it they'll give you two different drugs for that abortion um one of them is uh called mifepristone i always mispronounce that one but essentially it stops the development of the embryo um, then there's another one called misoprostol, and misoprostol is what actually uh, induces essentially a miscarriage, and so that undeveloped uh, embryo is uh, evacuated from the body. Um, and it is possible to give yourself an abortion with just misoprostol. Misopristone, the one that I have trouble pronouncing, is really hard to access. It needs to be refrigerated, but misoprostol is a generic drug that's also used for things like ulcers. And so that means that even your listeners could theoretically get a hold of some misoprostol and, and, and have it in case someone needs it. And if you search on Google abortion with pills, you will find procedures that tell you how to, in a more safe way, self-induce an abortion with misoprostol. Now, it's a very specific procedure like timing, how many pills you use, how you take them, how long you hold them in your mouth, very specific. And it can be done wrong. And obviously, sometimes in rare cases, there can be complications. Now, what's really important to know is if there are complications in this procedure and the person needs to seek medical care after self-inducing an abortion with pills, it's identical to a miscarriage. They do not need to tell their doctors, nurses, police, or anyone that they gave themselves an abortion with pills. They just need to say, I think I had a miscarriage. Now, I mentioned that not to victim blame at all what happened to this woman who was arrested. But just so your listeners know, that if they're ever in this case where they've self-induced an abortion and they're having some kind of medical problem because of it that they want to see follow-up care, they just need to say, hey, I think I'm having a miscarriage. But unfortunately, what happened is this woman, Lizelle Herrera, who is down near the border, she's a 26-year-old, and apparently she said something to a nurse. She went to the doctor or the, rather the ER for follow-up to a miscarriage, and she said something to, I believe, a nurse about having self-induced an abortion. That's what the nurse claimed, at least. We don't really know even if that's true. And the nurse or whatever staff member it was turned this young woman into the police instead of supporting her. And at that point, she was arrested on murder charges for that self-induced abortion. Now, the law that we're talking about, SB8, that allows someone to sue for assisting an abortion, that's a civil lawsuit. So it's not really clear under what grounds the police said that this woman had committed murder, even if she did self-induce her abortion. And now, fortunately, what happened 
Unfortunately, she was held in jail, uh, I believe, for for at least some weeks. I'm not actually sure on how long, but far too long, obviously. But the district attorney looked at this and said, this is bogus. And, you know, there's no there's no murder here. There's no crime here for dropping the charges against this woman. And she is free. Um, But that should never happen. And it's clearly a terrifying escalation and a sign of what, you know, police would like to be doing, what the Republicans would like to be doing to anyone that is not able to act this abortion through traditional channels for whatever reason and instead chooses to have uh, an abortion with pills that they do on their own. You know, they want them to be prosecuted uh, and, you know, they want them to go to jail for murder. Um, and I think it's also, you know, just terrifying you know, miscarriages are something that happens with relative frequency to people who can get pregnant. And so the idea that someone could have a miscarriage regardless of the circumstances and be accused of murder uh, is just a sign of uh, the terrifying uh, attack and loss to, to the rights of uh, people who can get pregnant in this country. So is there any update to that case? She is free and, and out and okay, as far as I know. Uh, the charges were never that she was held under murder charges, but the district attorney declined to bring them forward. And but so at there, that point, she's right. But there's nothing stopping the state from charging somebody else, though. I mean, in theory, yeah, they could, you know, uh, continue to investigate it. Like if she did somewhere obtain pills, they could do something else. I, I, I'm unaware of anything else happening to her at this time. But obviously, you know, we are seeing that the state is looking for all kinds of ways to go after, you know, abortion and go after gender affirming health care. You know, uh, I don't know if you want to go into it, but they're also trying to go after some of the pharmaceutical companies that provide puberty blockers. And so they really are just looking for any way to close off these avenues. And so you're right, you know, if I were her, I would feel very unsafe, you know, regardless of the fact that I had had these murder charges dropped. Well, let's now turn towards maybe some more uplifting news. You know, how people have been fighting back. There's been protests. Students have been doing walkouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's obviously been stuff happening on the legal front. Sure. You know, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Lambda Legal and the ACLU right now are successful in their lawsuit. So theoretically, these investigations are halted. Uh, some of the health care that was suspended, you know, some of the, the places offering gender-affirming health care are offering it again. Um there have been some protests. Uh, there was uh, a uh, protest at the governor's mansion uh, with some really beautiful speeches uh, on behalf of trans families. There was a die-in at the Capitol, which was organized by a group called TROT, or Trans Resistance of Texas, and a national organization called Tear It Up. And I don't know a lot about Tear It Up, but they seem really interesting. They're kind of modeling themselves over the uh, act up groups that were fighting for gay rights and for access to AIDS drugs during the eighties. Um, and so, uh, you know, we are seeing some more, uh, direct action. Uh, 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 there have been some walkouts here. I believe I'm not as aware of that as, as some of the ones that happened like in Florida, which got a lot of attention, um, because so, so much of this is happening kind of outside of the, the school uh, side of things. Uh, it, it hasn't uh, uh, mobilized in exactly the same way here, but there's definitely been a lot of protests and a lot of young people uh, speaking out at those events, too. 
Uh, and uh, one thing that's an interesting development is that uh, Wendy Davis, uh, who is, the, of course, the former Texas legislator uh, who did, um, you know, uh, back in the uh, one of the previous legislative sessions, it was, what, 2013, you know, she re- she was part of this filibuster where she uh, temporarily blocked the passage of another harmful anti-abortion law. And uh, she was, of course, supported by thousands of protesters who literally chanted so loudly that the government could not conclude its business. Um, and so well, her filibuster was stopped, but the people made so much noise that the Republicans literally couldn't hear themselves and couldn't pass this law. Incredible moment, one of the most amazing things I've witnessed. Um, she's continued to be involved in democratic politics and the fight for women's rights. Uh, and so right now she has just launched this lawsuit essentially saying it's a free speech issue because if she supports, she's someone who donates to abortion funds. Abortion funds are, of course, organizations that help people pay for their abortions or pay for their transportation. Or, you know, if there's a waiting period between your first visit and the abortion, they pay for like a hotel room so you can stay in town during that waiting period, things like that. So she's a regular donor to these abortion funds. And she's essentially saying, that this law that means she could be sued as a donor to these funds is violating her free speech rights, Um, which I think is, I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds like a compelling First Amendment argument. Um, So that's very positive. Um, We have seen a lot of support. Um, You know, the Austin School District uh, said they continue with Pride Week uh, is pushing back. We've seen a lot of, um, you know, district attorneys saying that they won't uh, participate in any child abuse, you know, uh, prosecutions uh, under this directive. So individual communities are fighting back uh, uh, in a lot of levels. Um, And I think that is very positive. Uh, uh, Of course, we're often seeing, you know, that the state tries to circumvent local rights anywhere that they can. uh, But there's a lot of people on the ground that support it. I think, um, you know, like we've seen in Florida, I think what I've heard is that the majority of young people support their trans and queer, non-binary, gender non-conforming classmates. This is coming from, you know, the dangerous, backwards, fascist adults. Um, and so we need to protect them. But I think a, a hopeful thing to me is just that there are all these kids who are growing up in their truth, in their real full identity in a way that wasn't possible when I was growing up for a lot of people. And, you know, that gives me hope and it inspires me to protect those kids, you know, any way I can. Has there been like a far right mobilization against these protests at all? Is that something you've seen? Absolutely. Um, you know, some of the events have, there was the Trans Day of Remembrance or, or Trans Day of Visibility recently, and that was so large. Uh, I think some fascists kind of sniffed around the edges of that, but couldn't really do anything about it. Um, so there have been some events that have gone off without any interference. Uh, but I mentioned earlier that there was a protest at the governor's mansion on behalf of trans uh, kids and their families. And that was uh, the far right tried to disrupt that very actively. They had a counter protest and press conference nearby talking about, you know, their opposition to pedophilia and grooming, the same stuff that we've seen. But more alarming, uh, we had, uh, so of course, InfoWars, Alex Jones' uh, fascist outlet, is headquartered here in the Austin area. And uh, they drove their um, 
he has this like armored reinforced SUV with huge speakers on it. And uh, Owen Schroyer, uh, one of his, you know, handpicked sort of successors uh, and a little crew of fascists was driving around in it, uh, saying just vile things over the their megaphones about, you know, groomers and trans young people and then attempted to directly disrupt this event. Uh, and of course, you know, theoretically, there were state troopers there because it was near the Capitol. So that's their jurisdiction. And they were theoretically supposed to protect the event. But it took uh, people putting their bodies. I was involved in this personally, just putting their bodies in between InfoWars and their supporters uh, and this event for it to go off without a hitch. They came very close to taking over the stage area where people were speaking and completely hijacking the event. And even apart from that, they were yelling just, I will not repeat it on your radio show, the grossest things over their microphone about what they imagine we are dooming as groomers to young people's genitals. It was very explicit, very disgusting. Uh, they were also trying to engage in all kinds of gotcha interviews or just like yelling stuff like, tell me what a trans person is, define it for me. And obviously there's no way to get into a healthy debate with those people. It was all just garbage. Um, but it really took people physically protecting that event uh, uh, to get any, uh, for it to happen successfully. So, and we've also, of course, seen Alex Jones, you know, repeating just some incredibly disgusting things on his show for months now about trans people encouraging this kind of, uh, encouraging all kinds of violence and disruption. And what's ironic is that while he's having people like Marjorie Taylor Greene on his show talking about how they're going to protect the kids, he is literally ducking and diving the parents of Sandy Hook after years of pushing outright lies and conspiracy theories about their kids, which has resulted in like real actual, you know, pain and suffering on their part and like InfoWars fans harassing them, calling them crisis actors and stuff like that. He's actually declaring bankruptcy now as a way to circumvent the lawsuits, but it's, it just shows you what a grifter he is. I mean, this is a guy that doesn't care about children talking about Alex Jones of InfoWars doesn't mm-hmm, care about mm-hmm. kids that has made a fortune. I mean, he's a very rich individual. He makes a lot of money selling supplements, has a very nice house. Uh, you know, he lives a very comfortable life off of pushing, uh, reactionary racist fascist politics and outright lies and conspiracy theories that have actually hurt children. And here he is once again, you know, out in the middle of it, trying to do more of the same. And it's disgusting. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, uh, I'm obviously very happy to see these lawsuits essentially succeeding against him. But I think it's really important for people to realize that he has all these people ready to step in like Owen Schroyer or, you know, but people who have kind of learned at his, you know, metaphorical knee reporters like Savannah Hernandez. There's just there's tons of them. You know, those are just two that showed up at this event you know, but that are uh, wanting to step in and kind of play the same role as soon as his network collapses. So even if this bankruptcy succeeds in bringing down InfoWars, which who knows, we'll see, you know, there's all these people who are ready to be the next Alex Jones and to keep profiting from this garbage. And it's really just harmful and, and shameful. And again, they don't care about kids. They're spreading, you know, this messaging about kids that can and will lead to fascist violence. You're listening to It's Going Down, part of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Follow us online at itsgoingdown.org and on Twitter at IGG underscore news. 
If you like and appreciate this podcast, go to itsgoingdown.org shop and give us a one-time donation. Sign up to donate monthly or donate through Bitcoin. Again, that's itsgoingdown.org shop to support. And now, back to the show. People were wondering if there are networks of support being created in opposition to these laws, both in terms of getting people access to certain medical care or just in solidarity. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think some some networks are happy and some already exist. There, there are some really great organizations that do support uh, people in Texas. Uh, I really uh, one organization that especially since we mentioned uh, Lizelle Herrera's case. Uh, the Frontera Fund uh, is a really important organization that's been supporting people who need access to abortion, and that includes getting them out of the state if that's the only way they can access it. Uh, there's a lot of other organizations that you can give money to as far as that, as that goes. The, uh, the, the T Fund, uh, which is the Texas Equal Access Fund, and Fund Texas Choice are two other great organizations that really deserve, um, you know, uh, 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 our support. But uh, I, I think also just, yes, there are going to be networks forming. You know, during the 80s, we saw people who had networks that um, uh, were helping each other access, you know, drugs that helped treat their AIDS because they couldn't access them through normal methods. And we've seen that with hormones before. And we're going to see that again. We're going to see that and are seeing that, you know, with uh, abortion with pills. Obviously, that's something that you know, you can't really just talk about on a radio show, uh, but those networks are are, are forming. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, regardless of where you are, uh, you know, you can get involved. Uh, you can support groups like some of the ones I already mentioned. There's Trans Education Network of Texas, which is TENT. Uh, there's this Tear It Up group, like I said, that's forming nationally that you can, you know, look for if you can participate in organizations like that or other ones i think it's valuable just to um educate yourself about abortion with pills and about self-induced abortion with misoprostol and about the safe way to do it uh i know sometimes there's classes on it that happen uh and if that is available you should certainly take it take that opportunity uh you know if you have the ability to keep that drug uh, if you're able to get access to it uh, you know, and keep some around if you have been given it for your ulcers and you can stockpile a little bit, then do so. Um, and I think a really good thing is just to, to reach out to people near you uh, that need support too. Um, it's important to emphasize that while people in Texas need support, and I appreciate everybody that's donating here and vocalizing their support for us here, you know, this is happening all over the place. Uh, and not just in the South, that this attack on schools, on libraries, on queer LGBTQIA plus rights, on rights of people to access abortion, it's happening all over the place. And so there's there's ways to participate where you are. I wanted to, I actually just heard about this case. There was a case in Minneapolis, actually, uh, you know, pretty recently. Uh, it was in Hastings, Minnesota. I'm sorry. Uh, if you If you Google the... Kelsey and Chris Waits family. Uh, they're a, a family that I guess were relatively conservative, moved to a small town, but had a transgender kid and faced just incredible uh, opposition and uh, threats and, and were incredibly unsafe. And this is, again, 
in a, in a town of 22,000 that's a suburb of Minneapolis. So this is happening everywhere. And this attack on these rights is not just in Texas. Um, so, you know, look for mutual aid funds. I'm sure that more and more are going to be popping out people that are, you know, raising money to help people move out of town. I'm sure we're going to see more of that forming. Uh, you know, donate to GoFundMe's where you can. Donate to these abortion funds. But also, yeah, educate yourself and tell people near you. If you have someone near you, for example, you know, trans people in your life or a parent of a trans kid, you know, let them know that, you know, I've got your back. And if you need money or you need help getting out of the state, if you end up needing to pack up your stuff, or if you need somebody to testify about why you should have your rights or just whatever you need, I'm here for you. And let them know that you have their backs. I think that's really important right now. Yeah, and we need resistance on the streets, too. Absolutely. I'm wondering what is going to happen. You know, we have, here we are almost through April. We're almost to Pride Month. You know, what's this going to be like this year? Are we going to just have a parade with the corporations? Um, you know, or are we going to uh, actually, you know, protest for our rights? I would, I would like to see some mobilization. Um, you know, it is challenging uh, uh, because uh, when the bathroom bills were happening here in Texas, you know, there was a place to go protest and this is happening outside of that. But even in states where it's happening within the legislative process, we haven't seen the same kind of mass mobilizations that we did before. Uh, just that, you know, all the people, all the corporations that were speaking out against it, um, you, you know, so the response is unfortunately a lot quieter this time. And we need mass, we do need mass protests. We need people in the streets. And I think we need, you know, <laughs> militant queer lib- liberation. We need, we need pride not to be a prey because we, we don't, you know, we have a lot to celebrate, but we have a lot to be angry about and we need to be angry and we need to, to, you know, express that anger directly at this point, because, you know, I think unless, uh, we make things unworkable for the people who are instituting these kinds of policies, they're just going to keep doing it. They're going to attack library schools and just people directly any way that they can. Tell us where people can follow your work. Yeah, great. Uh, so uh, I'm online. I'm very online, unfortunately, sometimes. You can find me on Twitter at Kit O'Connell, K-I-T-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. You can find my work at kitoconnell.com. And a lot of my recent work has been published at the Austin Chronicle. So you can search for that. Uh, look in the news section on the Austin Chronicle. Uh, you'll find that uh, my latest there. Uh, as well as links to all my other articles for them. And if you are in Austin or the Austin area right now, uh, starting tomorrow, you can pick up my latest issue about trans rights, uh, my latest article and the new issue starting tomorrow. So look for that in the coffee shop near you. This has been the It's Going Down podcast. Check itsgoingdown.org for daily updates, columns, action reports, and news. Go to itsgoingdown.org slash shop to support us and follow us on all social media platforms. IGD your daily resource for insurgent proletarian life.